Hello and welcome to the Collective Wisdom Podcast, the podcast that explores how to be a wiser version of yourself. This is a podcast that helps you to tap into your own inner wisdom and find the answers within you for how to live your best life. I'm your host, Kat Preston. I'm a certified life coach and I help people to turn down the noise in their heads and tune into the wisdom in their hearts. Every week, I'll be asking my guests to tell their stories about what they've learned along the way and share some of their wisdom with us. I'm so thrilled you can join us. Hey there, my wise friends, and a warm welcome to another episode of Collective Wisdom. I don't know about you, but when I listen to the news at the moment, it can feel as if we're in a perpetual state of crisis and the problems in the world are slightly out of proportion with the solutions. But I'm also aware probably thanks to the pandemic, that out of any crisis can emerge new and incredible opportunities, particularly if traditional approaches and paradigms are questioned and challenged. It's true it can be really hard finding the gift in some of the dark times or the challenging moments we have to live through, but they can often make us stronger or even go on to become a source of gratitude. And that is certainly true of my guest today. Jo Brownlow has had to live through some really challenging health issues, not just herself, but also watching her son really suffer, which is never easy. As you'll hear though, Jo has not only been able to overcome the crisis, but has emerged as someone who has embraced a whole new approach to life and gone on to train as a functional medicine practitioner herself. So if you or someone in your family is going through a particularly tough time at the moment, I do hope that hearing Joe's story will bring you some comfort in knowing that there will be light at the end of that long, dark tunnel. Joining me today, I have Joe Brownlow, who is a functional medicine practitioner from the UK based in Singapore. As is often the case, Joe's path to learning about functional medicine and the complexity of the human body was born out of very personal challenges in her own life. Firstly, when her son was six years old, struggling to learn at school and faced a possible diagnosis of autism, and then also dealing with her own ongoing health issues after years of suffering with IBS and Hashimoto's disease, which is an autoimmune condition that affects the thyroid. It turned out that in both cases, what lay at the heart of these symptoms was gut health and eating the wrong food. Through a process of eliminating toxic food groups, Jo was able to help her son blossom into an emotionally connected, happy child and overcome her own debilitating symptoms. She's since gone on to really follow the science and trained first to become a nutrition health coach with the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and then continued her studies with the School for Applied Functional Medicine. As she says on her website, Jo loves nothing more than helping people find their own wellness formulas, and she now works with clients either one-to-one or through her gut health workshops and fitness boot camps to lead healthier, happier lives. So Jo, a warm, warm welcome. Thank you so much for joining me here today. Um, it's been quite a journey for you. So I would love, you know, I was just drawn in by your story. We first met when I did a boot camp over in Singapore. <laughs> and I would just love to start by digging into your own struggles with gut health, which started really when you were very young. Started very early. Yes. Yes. Hi, Kat. Yeah. So actually, it did start from birth, actually. Um, when I was very little, just straight after I was born, I was having failure to thrive, which basically means that every time my mother would feed me, um, I would projectile vomit. Not very good. So the thing was back in those days, the the um, formula that they would use had gluten in it. And luckily, my both my grandparents were doctors and they recognized the fact that my stool looked unusual. So they, they took me to Great Ormond Street where I was diagnosed as celiac. Now, back in those days, you know, I was prescribed flour by the doctor so that my mother could bake bread. Um, so I was on a strict gluten-free diet for eight years. And every year they would take me into the, the hospital and I'd have a biopsy where they would check my gut um, villi. And each year until the age of eight, my gut, or I think each year to the age of seven, my gut villi were not growing back. And then 
my what they did each year would they'd give me like one month of eating gluten and then they would do the test and if they saw that the gut villi weren't good then they would leave it at the age of eight basically they were like okay it's fine she's the villi are fine she can start eating gluten again which oh, nowadays that would never happen you know once you're a celiac you're always a celiac yeah. um however what i think my mother did do because they were so amazing at stopping me from eating the gluten for that period of time was that actual autoimmune part of my body did heal and i so I then, when I did go back to eating the gluten, I, I, I think for a couple of years it was fine, but I found that as I got into my teens that I started getting psoriasis, which basically is sort of like a secondary gluten intolerance um, reaction. And I would always, I, I started developing really bad stomach pains. And to a certain degree, I didn't relate that my stomach issues were related to what had happened at birth. And on another level, the, the challenge of the thought of actually having to change my diet, going through my late teens, you know, university days, it just was too much. So I stuck with it for years and years and years. And actually the thing that prompted me to really start thinking about gut health was when Archie, my son, started having so many challenges he always was slightly delayed as a baby but when he got to about the age of five we noticed that he was constantly had this constant bloated belly wow. i didn't didn't really didn't really put things together at the time but it, when we then tried to send him to tangle in school and he basically just screamed for a whole year they had to take him out of the classes and put him into separate classes in order for him to actually learn it just became a really awful stressful time he had a full ed psych report and they said he was dyslexic dyscalculic and that they couldn't rule out autism um and then we had a secondary secondary ed psych report that said exactly the same you know how you the school does it and then we wanted to check to see whether it was true mm. um it was really challenging and then we moved to malaysia where he went into another smaller school but still experienced the same problems couldn't sit in class couldn't learn he i mean he was constantly in the head teacher's office and the head teacher was amazing actually he dr rob he at raffles american school he um really understood special needs children but at the same time it it probably masked the fact that actually how bad he had got um because then when he moved into the sort of the main big school they'd move sites he got suspended twice for hitting other children yeah. and you're at that point and especially somewhere like malaysia and jb where there's no other schools we yeah. just we just sort of put our heads in our hands and just thought what can we do and actually one of my girlfriends said to me, oh, you know, Mr. Raj, who's basically this guy who runs tutor groups around the corner. You know, Mr. Raj is like a morning school for kids. Have you ever thought about that? So I, in the end, I, after the second suspension, I just thought, we've just got to get him out of this school environment. It's, it's not helping him. Yeah. So we actually took him out of the school environment and started sending him to like a morning tutor group. And at that point, my same friend said, have you thought about food and whether that's help or helping him or hindering him so yeah. at that point we started and the great thing about that was because he only went to school in the morning it meant in the afternoons i could bring him into singapore where we did occupational therapy we uh, went to see a nutritionist um a lady called susie rucker who's now sadly left um singapore but i messaged her last week and she's very pleased that archie's doing so well but yeah, yeah. so back to the story she he as we, with Susie, she she said he had got a chronic infestation of candida in his gut, and and, and he. Can I just interrupt? How did how how? Because I know Susie actually, and I remember her journey on going down the nutritional <laughs> path, and it was. Yeah. So, I think even back then, so that was probably what ten years ago. Yeah. So he this would have been seven years ago. Seven. Yeah. And because he's quite. Yeah. Um, I think we understand a lot more about it now, but it was really at the infancy of people making those connections between food and behavioral disorders. And so, but how did she establish that it was this candida in his gut? 
Um, we did a stool sample. Now, the, not all stool samples are as good. You know, you can go to a doctor and get a standard stool sample. It's a comprehensive stool sample. And actually, they tend to take three samples over a period of four or five days so that you've got a good mix. Because what they test is not just like the bacterial imbalance. They look for parasites. They also look for viruses. And they also look for what your digestion is doing and fungal infections so they also can tell you whether you're producing a lot of zonulin which is basically a marker that um is a, pro a zonulin is produced when you eat gluten and basically zonulin causes the gut to become leaky so this back then probably didn't have the zonulin marker in it but it had the candida marker and he had like triple plus on the candida marker yeah. and they we went through a quite a challenging few months of basically removing all forms of carbs and sugar from his diet. I mean, carbs, even vegetables. So he basically ate meat, avocados. I remember he ate this avocado and smoked mackerel pate. He <laughs> was amazing, actually. And we had to, he took antimicrobials, antifungals, and um, we were very religious about it because I think when you see a child in so much stress yeah. and so unable to really communicate with the world because he was so stressed, it, it was the biggest motivation to help him. Yeah. And so we went through and within, I would say, a month and a half, his he was in a bubble. He was very much, you know, not looking at you. And he came out of the bubble. And even my husband, who at first was totally dead against this whole process and did fight about it and yeah. was utterly amazed at how this change of child. Wow. And so, yeah, it definitely kept us on that path to wanting to really heal. So that wasn't it. They We did the candida cleanse. He also then had a thing called SIBO, small intestine bacterial overgrowth, which basically is when the uh, bacteria that tends to, your bacteria should mainly be in the large intestine. But when you have a very slow digestive tract, you um, don't have enough stomach acid, say either you're stressed or you've just got a dysbiosis, you don't break down your food very well. So it basically sits and ferments in the gut and it causes a lot of gas, but it also encourages the bacteria that should be in the large intestine to creep up into the small intestine and to really exacerbate bloating. So anybody out there who has got symptoms of massive bloating, they should be tested for SIBO or just adopt a SIBO diet, which is where you you cut out, it's called a FODMAP diet, where you cut out all the sort of fermentable di digestible starches in your diet. Um, and that should make a massive difference. But the thing is, it's not it's not about the actual SIBO itself. It's about why is the SIBO happening in the first place? Why is the stomach acid not right why are they not digesting the food properly so working through that and i know this now because i've studied it but back then i didn't really yeah. understand it we yeah. just had to eradicate the SIBO and give lots of you know antimicrobials or whatever as it got to about a year where we were doing gluten-free mainly dairy-free and he had improved so much but at the same time, I felt at that point I couldn't sit on this whole process of being heavily gluten-free, controlling mother, because it was becoming quite challenging. He was getting to sort of the age of eight, nine years old, and it was hard. So yeah. we allowed him back eating more normal foods. The house always gluten-free, always, you know, delicious, lots of vegetables, lots of good quality protein, good fats or whatever. But out i would sort of let go of that and i think actually that helped him to realize because he would get the times when he would get those stomach aches and he would go oh mommy wow. and you know like if we went on holiday a breakfast buffet disaster yeah. and basically every holiday we would go on he would go and have the breakfast buffet and the next night he would be throwing up and so i think that in itself really helped him to um realize actually the food that he was sort of craving after wasn't that helpful for him so now yeah now he's pr pretty good he's not 100 percent gluten-free but he's healthy and he's 
He loves working out. He's, you know, he loves his protein. I get him lovely. He has smoothies every day and he's just a different child. He's now moved into Dover Court mainstream and he's thriving, happy, lovely relationships. It's it's a different um, child. To that. You know, I, all I can think is, God, how lucky he was that he had a mother who had a deeper understanding of this, probably through having had some of your own issues, but also it does take a lot of real conscious effort to, oh. you know, especially with children and, and they, whenever they go out and, you know, trying to navigate that whole thing around making changes in diet, restrictive yeah. diets are all such a challenging thing to have to do. And up against this, well, is this even going to help? You yeah. know, it's really actually what we're, is it going to solve the problem? And I think back then there was less proof, but I think now there's more proof that it works. So, I, you know, I, I have faith in that fact. Yes, it was a battle at home. You know, there were times yeah. when, but I, I'm quite a determined person. I think that's in my character. So I wasn't, you know, I, I wasn't going to allow challenges to stop me from proceeding. And I think that's something that any person who is about to embark on the journey, it doesn't like go, oh, suddenly I'm feeling amazing after three weeks. You know, yeah. it takes time. Yeah. You know, it can take, if there's a really, really embedded issue there, it could take a year. Um, and that's dedicating that time. But it's worth it. You think it could take a year, but that's his whole life changed. Absolutely. You know? I mean, he could still be this sort of degenerate child who's being kicked out of schools and, and made to, I mean, and what that does to your self-esteem and your whole perception of the world as being an ugly place in the meantime yes. is so yeah. damaging. So... Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I can see completely why you have now gone on this journey of your own. And and then, I mean, for your own health, you yes. know, you kind well, of... Funnily it. enough, around that time, um, I had a test and my thyroid markers came back wrong. My doctor said, let's look for the Hashimoto's markers, which are basically these antibodies that you can see in your blood work. And they came back as being positive. And so... Basically, I was diagnosed with Hashimoto's at the time. So really, for myself, when I did the reading about Hashimoto's, any form of autoimmune illness, the first thing you have to do when you get an autoimmune illness is to give up gluten because of the fact that it um, exacerbates a leaky gut. And leaky gut basically is the root cause of the inflammation that causes autoimmune illnesses because mm. when you have a leaky gut um food particles that should not be getting into your systemic body they they get in there and then your immune system goes this is, shouldn't be here because it shouldn't mm. so your immune system then sets off an attack to these particles and so that means it's it's on the alert and then the immune system gets confused and it starts to attack areas of the body that it thinks looks a bit like those particles, those proteins that are in the foods that are let through into your systemic body. So, you know, any person who has autoimmune illness, give up the gluten. Dairy can be very similar protein to gluten. So really thinking about removing dairy as well. It doesn't have to be forever for dairy or other food sensitivities. But the, the problem with a leaky gut is that those foods that, that you eat the most tend to go into the systemic body. And that means you, you tend to then build up a, an immune response to the foods that you eat the most of, the foods that you right. love the most of, which is quite frustrating, really. So a lot of the time you'll go and see a doctor and they'll go, oh, you're, you're, you've got sensitivities to these foods, stop eating them. But if you don't then address the actual root of the leaky gut, then the foods that you exchange to then start eating will then become sensitive as well. So fine, yep, it will reduce the ones that you previously had sensitivities to because you've removed them and then you can re reintroduce them. So through that path of, of understanding your own journey with, you know, do, do you honestly think that, that the Hashimoto's may have come about because you weren't dealing with your symptoms as a celiac? Is that possible? Um, that, yes, 
because what they do say is once you've had one autoimmune illness, you tend to get more if you don't resolve them early enough. Right. So I think, you know, actually what my parents did was they, they, you know, they did the most amazing job of actually healing that autoimmune illness. But it, I would have had a genetic susceptibility. Mm. It would have been related to my lifestyle choices. I was not the healthiest person. In fact, I was probably the least healthy person that you would know. So I think, you know, I have gone from one extreme to another, but I think once you know something, yeah. you can't change it. I, you know, I now realize, and it, you know, I look back, I've had fun in my life, but now I'm having fun in a different way, in a, in a more healthy way. And well, I think we can all understand that as we age, part of that process is to sort of understand how we can age well so that you're yeah. not dealing with symptoms that I think for a lot of people, we've come to believe that that's just part of the aging process. You will suddenly develop things that you have to tolerate. And what you're showing is that by making some simple lifestyle choices, different changes can can really impact your health. Yes, make a massive, yeah. And well, tell me difference. a little bit about, you know, for, for people who don't understand even the term functional medicine, what what does that actually mean? Okay, um, it's uh, it's quite a new um, science, as in it's probably only been, been around for probably about, I'd say, 15 years. Um, and it does stem from actual doctors who realise that uh, constantly giving a drug for a symptom or to help reverse certain not reverse help um uh, deal with the symptoms for lots of diseases things like type 2 diabetes wasn't actually working out why that person was getting sick so the way functional medicine works is they we are looking for the root cause it's a key phrase the root cause of that disease so something like type 2 diabetes the root cause of that is overeating of sugar and there prior to getting type 2 diabetes you get a thing called insulin resistance where basically when you die when you eat glucose sugar of any sort the glucose in order to be put into the cells needs insulin which is a hormone your body gives off that hormone when you eat too much sugar the hormone has to ramp up to the point where there's so much insulin in the body it doesn't know it can't produce anymore and it it actually just gives up. So it stops producing insulin. And then at that point, your glucose levels go up. Now, when you've got too much glucose in the blood, it's very harsh on the arteries. And that's where you get atherosclerotic plaque, which basically means there's a buildup of plaque inside your arteries. So you then end up well with type 2 diabetes, plus you then start to get heart disease, metabolic syndrome, high blood pressure, that sort of thing. Yeah. Now, lots of doctors when you when you go and have blood tests you'll have your glucose tested so you can see is the blood sugar going up but the first the first sign of actual insulin resistance or pre-diabetes is actually your insulin going up so sadly most doctors don't take glucose levels so they don't take insulin levels they take the glucose levels so basically when you go into the doctor and your glucose level starts going up that is actually your second phase of, of of insulin resistance. You are much closer to being diabetic than if your doctor would have taken an insulin test to see whether your insulin is rising. Mm. So I think some doctors do that as a general panel, but a lot of doctors don't. Um, so they're not catching the, the patient till much later, which is a harder time to actually reverse. Um, now, of course, I think everybody knows. I'm, I'm not sure, but in order to treat insulin, in order to treat diabetes, you can actually reverse it by removing sugar from the diet. Mm. Because if you don't have any sugar in in your diet or any processed carbs, um, you don't get insulin, and then your body can, is allowed to reset. Your body then starts to educate itself again because your body is very intuitive. So. The way functional medicine would handle this would be they would see, I would see somebody's blood work and I go, okay, your insulin over. I tend to like to track the blood work. So I like to see, say, five years ago, four, three, two, and you can see which direction the blood is going in, whether the liver is, is getting worse or, or better. And 
you can i could probably tell okay so you're going in the wrong direction let's work on what dietary changes can you make in order to try and reduce the amount of insulin that you're producing um and so we work on dietary strategies a lot of the time i have an amazing recipe book with lots of really good sort of gluten-free low sugar foods and we talk about you know what are the best foods to try and focus on and actually another area that causes high blood sugar is actually stress and stress being probably uh, so prevalent in today's society even people who who don't have highly stressful jobs can live in a very sympathetic dominant state which is high stress state which can be quite caustic because that in itself can produce produce high blood sugar so you could actually have a very healthy diet and still get type 2 diabetes just purely because you're stressed wow. so uh, yeah so what um, i'm hearing is that that functional medicine it's more of a sort of holistic approach taking yes. taking yeah. your whole lifestyle but then yeah. actually measuring the impact of the, the stress hormones and the the blood sugar levels and the I guess also centering background onto the gut the damage that's done to your gut by by foods that are toxic to you so how much would you say this is about you know so for example your celiac therefore gluten is terrible but for yeah, other yeah. people that's not necessarily the um <sighs> Sadly, I, I'm not really keen on gluten for most people, but um, I think that the difference, though, with gluten nowadays is the bread that you'll find in a supermarket has been so the, the, the wheat grain has been so hybridized and it's been sprayed using glyphosate or toxic chemicals. They basically spray so much on it. And then when it's milled, it's in the bread mm -hmm. um, and that's quite toxic. So I don't think I. I would love people to avoid gluten as much as possible, especially if you are showing signs of sensitivities, imbalance in the body. If you're, if you've got adrenal issues, as in you're tired, if you've got thyroid issues, which is basically your metabolic hormone, um, if you've got any, any sort of dysbiosis, tummy pains or indigestion, all those are signs that your body is not happy. Mm -hmm. So removing gluten is a very good way to get quite a, um, a, a good level of rapid relief, which is something that I like to instill in my clients as soon as really in the first couple of weeks of seeing them, because a lot of the time coming in with you know, gluten is the easy one that will get a really good response. So lethargy, stomach bloating, what yeah. other symptoms do people present with? Well, some people get headaches, you get hormonal imbalances, um, uh, rashes, mm. um, achy joints. Right. Achy joints is quite a big one because basically the achy joints are, are um, you know, that's a sort of an arthritis, pre-arthritis. And so you've seen with your clients that... This sort of approach, which is really about, I mean, you, you work with clients to also improve their movement. You do, you do fitness boot camps, which is how we yeah. met. So that's another part of it, you know, keeping your body mobile, keeping yourself active, but yes. then this centralized gut getting idea. Good, getting good sleep. Getting good sleep. Another juicy one. I love sleep, but you know, back in my teens, I didn't know how important sleep was and yeah. how having consistent bedtime um and not dashing up at five in the morning to go for a, a run at the age of 45 is a, you know it's it's it also every person has their own unique levels of tolerance if you know what i mean so you know i'm probably very sensitive i started out very sensitive so i probably need a stronger healthy life regime than the next person who probably was born with an incredibly good gut health who so so there is an element but most of the people that i will i will see will have stronger issues so that i'll need to address so I'm, i may have somebody who who has um issues with lethargy and i work i speak to them about the fact that actually if they have really good sleep hygiene which is you know, making sure that they switch off electronics at nine o'clock at night, get into bed by 10 o'clock, 
They uh, don't have electronics in their room. They read a book. They have nice, you know, maybe have a nice Epsom salt bath. You know, these sort of strategies can actually uh, give somebody a massive lease of life. Um, so it's and it's then that that plant. that sort of then goes on to impact. So when you're constantly tired that then releases more cortisol in the body. And yeah. so it all starts to become, you're starting to see the sort of body you as- You to eat more, you, and then you end up yeah. turning to eating rubbish because the hormones when you're tired are telling you that you need to eat. So you end up eating rubbish. Um, so yeah, trending want to eat, have coffee, eat sugar. Those are two things when you're tired, you know, I'm right. sure everybody- and then for this for this sort of hormonal imbalance, because, you know, with a vested interest, as you approach the perimenopause and the menopause, obviously your hormones start to really either leave leave your system. W what kind of things do you recommend for people? Okay, so, um, well, I mean, it depends on the, what, the, what the hormones are doing. I have a really good test that I can run, which is called a Dutch test, um, which basically gives you an understanding of what estrogen, progesterone, cortisol, um, melatonin, all those hormones and testosterone. I, I feel as, um, women get closer to menopause, lifestyle modifications are really important because if they're eating a lot of sugar, that can lead to, a, a an easier, a, a predisposition towards a level of insulin resistance, as I was talking about earlier, and that could lead to something called estrogen dominance which is this is the perimenopause phase because when you have too much insulin in the blood you don't you might not ovulate and that means your progesterone isn't given off so you get you don't have any progesterone to balance out your estrogen and estrogen um dominance is things like sore boobs very sort of heavy painful periods that sort of thing and that tends to happen more as you get closer to perimenopause as well, because your ovaries are producing less hormones. And so your actual adrenal glands are starting to take over those final vestiges of hormones, sex hormones that you have. And the issue with that is that if you've had a very stressful life in the lead up to that, then your adrenal glands aren't actually strong enough to handle the extra pressure they're getting from stress which is the adrenal glands produce your cortisol as well as your sex hormones. So I, any client who comes to me and they're sort of in their late forties and they're highly stressed. One of the key things I talk to them about is actually reducing their stress levels, really focusing on that and activities like deep breathing, mindful breathing, breathing through the nose rather than <laughs> panting through the mouth. Um, meditation is another one. I don't say to them, you've got to do 20 minutes three times a day, you know, just even, you know, in between meetings, if you're going from one meeting to another to sit and breathe and just do some box breathing for three minutes will be invaluable. Wow. So that's other. So you're saying basically that, you know, with some of these lifestyle changes and, and then bringing this into nutrition, I mean, for, for hormonal imbalance, presumably there are, foods that you can really start to sort of yeah. adjust and make changes to yes i mean there are sort of foods that you want to sort of not have as much of as you get into the sort of the perimenopause phytoestrogens which soy it, which in asia you get a lot of soy sauce and that they love their soy they can boost estrogen and if you already have an estrogen dominant state then you're just fueling the estrogen right. um and there's also things like Zen estrogens, which are basically the plastics that you put all your food, you, you put your food in. So I, I tend to try and encourage people to have glass containers to put hot food into drinking out of a glass rather than plastic, certainly not to eat, drink um, coffee out of um, a polystyrene cup, because those that's, you know, literally plastic going into your body, which is toxic in itself. There's also another element to it is a lot of women who get estrogen dominance tend to not be able to detoxify it properly. And that's something else that I tend to tr try and deal with. And in order to detoxify it better, something like broccoli really helps. It's got a thing called sulfurophane, which basically boosts that pathway to actually detox the estrogen. So there's, you know, lots of 
little things that you can when you look at a dutch test you can go okay so she needs to be eating more broccoli um you know it's it's an amazing science yeah to actually what i loved eat. about it was you know when you were describing it to me was this way you map out so it is an individual yeah. map for absolutely your yes kids. every every person will fill in a full uh symptoms questionnaire as well as a map of their history because i think sometimes a lot of the time what has happened in the past can have a massive effect on what happens now for one we hold on to the toxins in our fat cells when as we grow up our body stores toxins that we experience throughout our lives in our fat cells and so um i i map out a client and i have a, a lovely um, map which I'll link all the different causes causalities and I look at the blood work and I add that in and I then tend to pull together theories of the dynamics at play then I meet with the client and we discuss you know their history in more detail so I can get further clarification on different areas and then we tend to sort of talk through what I would suggest and what they are able to mm. to, to to rise to the challenge to do and it's it's very rewarding actually when i it's like a puzzle you know hallelujah moment when you see oh my gosh and you don't see it at first you sort of delve deep and yeah it's yeah. amazing which is what you were describing which is your own you know even having been diagnosed as celiac in your childhood it wasn't always you weren't able to join the dots or maybe didn't want to join the dots in your sort of mid 20s because yeah because then it becomes oh you can't you know uh, the only other question i had was around alcohol and where you know oh, how that uh, how that plays okay. it my little friend alcohol yes yes so it's four years now since i stopped wow yeah i realized as i was going through the whole healing journey with with archie and with me studying to become a health coach that what I was doing, I was being really healthy all week. I would, you know, eat healthily, I'd work out, and then I'd get to a Friday night and knock back a bottle of wine and feel terrible for the rest of the weekend, bottle, maybe bottle and a half, you know. And, you know, I was the life and soul of the party, but at the same time, I came away feeling rather empty mm. and it didn't didn't make me feel very, um, I lost my authenticity by I, I didn't feel like I was a gen I was genuinely talking the talk yeah. by drinking alcohol every weekend. Now, I'm not saying everybody else, you know, every, people have different relationships with alcohol. I didn't like my relationship with alcohol. So I, I didn't decide, oh, I'm going to give up alcohol. I basically um, went to a massive Halloween party um, just after getting back from holiday, drank far too much, crawled up the stairs, my son, who was 10 at the time, you know, watched me and I woke up mortified the next morning. Well, yeah, anyway. Um, and at that point, I thought, OK, I'm going to stop. I'm I'm stopping until the half marathon because I was running about six weeks later and then I'll see how I do. So I stopped and it wasn't it, it wasn't that hard, actually. I think when you feel so ashamed of yourself that sort of kept me sticking to it so i got to the got to the half marathon and then afterwards i thought mm, i'll see how i do till christmas and then i read a book by a lady called annie grace called this naked mind and it was life-changing mm. because she basically runs you through what the alcohol does to you how you become addicted and how easy it is to not be addicted to it yeah and it was amazing and so i got to christmas no don't want to have it got to my birthday which is february no got to the summer no and i basically made a deal with myself when i feel i want if i look at somebody and i feel jealous of them drinking that's when i will start to drink and i haven't felt it yeah. i literally do not feel it i feel no no cravings i feel no interest the only thing I have is we make kombucha, which I love, and that is fermented, but it's, you know, it's... But I think, you know, from what we're yeah. hearing for the microbiome, you know, fermented food, oh, the diversity yes. of foods are so good yeah. For, our, yeah. for our overall gut health, perhaps with healing this leaky gut, you know, the idea of sort of 
um, changing up your diet in that way seems to be quite yes. positive. But what I what I really am interested in there is it was almost like a change of identity. So as a health mm -hmm. coach, it, yes. it doesn't fit that you can be one thing during the week when you're doing your job and then another persona, yes. if you like. Totally. It doesn't, it doesn't fit. Yeah. And I think what, what's really coming out of this whole conversation is how much our bodies are signaling to us all the time when something's going wrong, right yeah. from the outset, you know, whether it's, yeah. uh, and if we, if we ignore it, then those pains become more chronic, long lasting, turn into something more serious. Yeah. What you're helping people do is identify the sort of markers, if you like, through, through, you know, things like the Dutch test, but also just through having a conversation, really writing it down, making some notes around what's changed, what's going on for you. And yeah. then looking at those lifestyle changes as opposed to taking drugs or the small, often quite insignificant changes. Although some of them, you know, as you say, to give up gluten, to give up alcohol do involve sitting down and having a very honest conversation with yourself. Yeah. Yes. Um, and I think that's what I like to do is they provide the solution for the clients so that when we talk about it, I'll say it's not as hard as you think, you know, you will get there. I Here are you swapping things out. You know, if you can swap out the bad food with something else that tastes just as good, but it's just different because it's not got the crap in it, you know, mm. um, is, is a way of, of really uh, making the process not so stressful. I mean, I look back and in fact, I wrote a post um, on Facebook about the fact that, you know, if Archie had not gone through what he did when he was six, seven years old, I wouldn't have learned what I'm learning now and I wouldn't be the person I am now. And I'm very happy that it has happened. So actually I've seen, and that's what I'd like to say to people out there who do have something that they a niggling feeling that they're not quite right. Embrace it. See it as a, your body saying, okay, I want to, I want something to change here. Yeah. Let's work it out. Yeah. And rather than sitting there and drinking a bottle of wine in order to mask that niggling something, you know, embrace it because actually it could change your life and you could feel amazing. Yeah. So the person I am now is, you know, is not the person I would be if Archie hadn't had these issues. None of this had happened. No, mm. and it's interesting. The other thing that I love about your approach is that you're helping people find support networks. So it's not doing this all by yourself. You know, you're yeah. running those gut health workshops. You know, you're bringing women together, especially for boot camps. And so bringing those pillars of how to understand accessing the best forms of wellness, especially as we age. Um, but doing it through a sort of supportive communal aspect that really, yeah. I think that's half of it is when, when you feel like you're the only person, but you know, from, from what you're describing, you've brought your whole family on board with this. Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. In fact, my husband has lost um, two and a half stones since the beginning of the year. Yeah. <laughs> it was starting from a high point. Um, but <laughs> Yeah. And um, that resistance is perfectly natural. I guess there's part of our ego or part of our identity is associated with these are the foods I like and this is what I'm and, and everything yeah. else feels restrictive until yes. you understand it's an addiction or, yeah. or a default pattern a behavior yeah. that you just haven't actually challenged lately. Yes. And and change can be challenging to start with, but actually it takes a couple of days. As long as you set yourself up for success, you plan, you know, every person I talk to, we do meal planning, you know, we make sure we get the food all in the fridge. So you're not going to turn to the crap, you yeah. know, it's, it becomes, you've got so many nice other foods that you can't go wrong, you know, yeah. um, and it is, it's just about being mindful and, dedicated to the process and really feeling I I love that in my course we talk about inspiration education inspiration and then empowerment because that's the final thing where the, the client walks away and they say I can do it on my own I'm happy yeah absolutely so you're really just providing those guidelines to analyze in the first place where things are going wrong what you know what that tailor-made bespoke kind of 
pattern of changes, although some of these things keep coming up, you know, it is all about yeah. taking out the gluten, perhaps taking out the alcohol, getting more sleep, getting getting that movement into your daily lifestyle. Um, yeah. and, and I think for me, the functional med, med, medicine approach is just because it makes so much sense. You know, there's, there's nothing that you're doing that's harmful. You're not sort of asking people to take a certain drug or it's so, and I think what we're coming to understand is we put our bodies under so much pressure oh, um, yes. each and every day. We expect so much of them. And now it's this, this a whole approach is about listening to your own intuition and, and listening for those signals that, that this very well-crafted machine is yes. very good at, at, at sort of showing you showing you yes, what's going wrong definitely definitely yes brilliant now i always ask people about kindness and i happen to have a belief that being kind to people that that sort of reaction that you get when you put kindness out into the world actually does impact your overall health and well-being so it kind of fits in with this whole philosophy of if you can put some of that kindness out it really does restore that feeling of well-being in your own body you know it's it's not it's not all just done for other people but is there a, a a story about an act of kindness that's impacted you recently um well the way i have developed my business over the last you know six months has been where i haven't been able to be paid for my services because i'm in singapore and i didn't have a um work pass. So what I've worked is I've done uh, barter deals with people and I feel, and I, I've just done, I've had free clients where basically the feeling of me giving to these clients and seeing them heal is amazing. But at the same time, I've had like my friend Jane, who has helped me with my logo on my website. I'm helping her with her health stuff. Um, and the same with another friend of mine, who's like a branding person. I also helped her husband to, um, to, to, to deal with some health issues. So the way I've seen it is, is it's that barter deal of, of, you know, they help me, I help them, that sort of thing. I mean, the, the act of kindness that I think that was the trigger of the start of my career that started my group classes that gave me the confidence because I'm not the most brave person was actually when I initially finished my IIN training and um, the ladies on the Friends of Marlborough committee said, why don't you do a talk to the Friends of Marlborough, you know, the the, the parents. Yeah. yeah. And, um, and I don't think I would have ever started doing the group classes because I did the the weight loss groups and the cookery classes if they hadn't asked me. And it was very kind of them because I, you know, I literally only just qualified as yeah. a health coach. Yeah. And so I think that was something that really pushed me into to feeling the fear and doing it anyway. Because yes, it, yes. And isn't it true that, that it's just that moment where somebody else sees in you something that you perhaps haven't quite seen in yourself, which is that capacity to help others. And you, you're now your kindness. Kat, your kindness. I I trained you for a boot camp. We spoke for about 10 minutes and then we started this conversation. It was, you know, yeah, but you know, I've got a radar for people who are doing good things in the world and oh. whose work is so important that nothing brings me greater pleasure than to be able to say, right, I'm a catalyst. You know, that's that's my job. I am the person who comes in and goes, boom, I will help you get this off the ground, help you tell the story, help you put it out there in a way that is meaningful to other people. That's what I do. But it's funny because when you start to, um, so, so now I instantly hear it in people's voices when they've got something that they're so passionate about and is so meaningful to them and it's making a difference you know that ripple effect yeah. on other people's lives those are the people that i love to to work along with and i loved what you were saying about you know it's almost like a sort of symbiotic relationship you've then helped my daughter was having a few problems with hormonal yeah. issues and it's simply a conversation there's nothing we've done we haven't even done blood work or anything it's just a few conversations and i've noticed such a difference in the way you help and it's exactly what you were saying about you you educate you inspire and then you empower people to take ownership of their own lifestyle journey their own you know so there's none of this you must do this 
which is probably yeah. where I was coming at it from. I know all this stuff and you should be able to do this. And it would, it will really help you. I feel now she is listening to her own body has worked mm. with you, had a conversation and is taking ownership of her own choices about what she eats, how much she moves, whether sleep really is having a detrimental effect or lack of sleep is having a detrimental effect on her overall sense of well-being. And it's it's just magical when you see that happen, when people are able to embrace the choices and the changes that they want to make, because that's, I think, where motivation comes from. And I think with kids as well, it's so important, you know, get them knowing it now yes. and it'll change their lives. Yes. It will. Yes. And that's, you know. And again, it's because, you know, it's that do as I. <laughs> yeah, do as I say, <laughs> not as I do. Not as I do. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yes. Yeah. If, if only they could all be as wise as we are now. But, you know, I I really do think it's about that here are here are all the resources and that's what this podcast is all about it's like here are all the things i'm not saying that they will work for you but just give it a listen give it a try just see and these are often just the smallest tiny changes and none of it will do any harm if it doesn't yes. do any good yes. you know it might not work for you i'm we're not here saying do this and it will cure hashimotos but here's an approach that may just help mm. And that's yes. what feels empowering to me. So yeah. much more empowering than most people who get given an AI di di autoimmune diagnosis and oh, just take these pills to cause the inflammation, which yeah, basically yeah. don't help. They they actually never get as you say. It's it's what I love about that functional medicine approach is it's let's look at the root causes. Maybe it's even trauma that you haven't dealt with. You know all that masking behavior, all the things where you go to the the things that just make you feel better in the short term. Um, yes. It, it can often uncover all sorts of things. So, yeah, Absolutely. I think there's been a whole movement lately because we're so preoccupied, rightly so, following the pandemic with our health and well-being. I think we've all come to see that without our health, nothing else really matters. You know, we can't we can't go out in the world and and thrive. Um, and people like you are helping people to take ownership, take responsibility and make those small adjustments that will be life-changing. So yeah. thank yeah. you for that. And then onto music, which you mentioned meditation. Yeah. And I think music is a, is a really good way of dealing with all those sort of buildups of cortisol. You know, again, it's music can be mood boosting. Music can help you relax. It's such a great form of um, therapy in, in my yes. opinion. Definitely. Definitely. I'll tell you, and one of the a tip that I'll give my clients, if they sort of have mood balance, imbalance stuff is I get them to put together their favorite song playlist on Spotify or whatever. Oh, love that. Love Make that. Them, you know, and so if they listen to a song, put add it, you know, if they suddenly get, Oh my God, I love that. So I have that. And I, you know, when I get in the car, listen to it and sing my heart out. So that's, that's my tip to feeling happy. Um, it, it you know, singing is very good for the vagus nerve, which is another thing I'm sure you'll learn about. Um, and singing, it just uplifts the spirit. So the song that I thought of when you when you asked me what um, is a, is a uh, music that matters to me, the the first thing I thought about was Packerbell's Cannon, which they played on my wedding day, and I walked down the aisle. Oh. And, and it's very strange. I it was the just it just was there so that's my yeah uh, my husband if I mentioned any other tunes that I like he'll probably <laughs> cringe <laughs> we were saying before we started recording that actually I mean that's a that's a piece that resonates I had that on my wedding day too it's a piece that I think somehow just connects you to there's a there's a moment of bittersweet it's that it's that sort of slightly melancholy but somehow it just brings out those emotions of yeah it, it helps you understand what it is to feel feelings and yes. it's such a beautiful piece that is timeless you know it's that's what i love about it it's uh yeah written hundreds of years ago and yet we still now listen to it yeah, and it's, it's a piece that can stop you in your tracks so yeah. i am yeah. so grateful to you for putting that on the playlist oh, we're talking about good. how eclectic it is that we have i have 
you know, there's there's modern music, there's jazz music, there's music that I don't necessarily respond to very well. And yet <laughs> what I love is each and every person brings that unique kind of um, what what means something to them is is so beautiful. That's what's been so lovely about putting together a playlist like this is it, it helps us celebrate all that uniqueness that goes into everybody. So a welcome addition. And um, I'm sure when you listen to it, it does also take you back to that wedding day and, and those fun yeah. memories. Yes. Yeah. Fabulous. And then for wisdom. So mm. you've clearly been someone who has just had those intuitive hits, had those challenges, and rather than be defeated by them, moved towards them, just said, listen, I'm not going to take no for an answer here. I know that there's something deeper, but what would you say is the piece of wisdom that's kind of been your, your guide? Um, well, I, I think my, the way I see it is that when your body is telling you something, say you've got unrelenting headaches, you've got, you know, gut issues or whatever, that is your body telling you and that you need to listen to that. Yeah. And to rather than being scared of what the repercussions are, what the results are, to sort of rise to that challenge and that to see it as a gift rather than as, you know, if you, you know, you hear people who say I was diagnosed with cancer, but that was the best thing that happened to me because my life changed after that. And I am now a different person. And that's, you know, I'm not saying that that's happened to Archie or, or myself, but I do feel that sometimes the most challenging things can actually lead to the most rewarding things. And so to try and see that rather than seeing the, oh, woe is me, the world is going to end type situation. So I think that's, that's my key nugget of inspiration. Yeah. Just this idea that it's through overcoming challenges that we build our resilience and often find a path to courage and, and yeah, doors opening yeah. we would never have expected. So that's a Definitely. beautiful piece of wisdom, but also that listen to your body, just listen yeah. to those signals. And, and it's people like you, Joe, who are helping people to really, you know, I think, I think in our sort of world of modern medicine, if you go to a GP, you might have seven minutes. It's never enough yeah. time really get to the bottom often these conversations can unearth ah now that makes total sense that this is what's going on when you start to look at people's lifestyle as a whole yeah. and then your understanding of how the body works really helps to as you say fit together those it's it's like being a detective and the yeah. pieces. puzzle piecing that yeah yeah that's the way i see it love it phenomenal. phenomenal well i wish you all the very best and i know that you already have a body of clients that you've been working with as you've been training and you know i think that people who are listening to this will have got even in itself even from just this conversation those small things that we can all do that aren't difficult you know for me the big thing is not to have the crappy food in the house if I yes. bag, if I buy hula hoops, I eat hula hoops. If I don't buy hula hoops, I don't. You know, it's as simple as that. So, I would say, if someone is though interested in in working with you, do you work with people outside of Singapore? Yes, I can. I can do like Zoom chats to, yeah, with people yeah. because you know, the only issue sometimes is um, somewhere like the UK, it's hard to get blood work taken because right. the doctors aren't good keen but at the same time you don't need blood work to really understand things you can work on just um symptoms and um work on on that fine i mean things like thyroid it's always quite nice to actually get a full thyroid panel so you can see for sure but if somebody's you know exhibiting you know full hypothyroid symptoms then you just get them onto a sort of a, a thyroid new nu nutrient rich diet um and so yes i i help i can help people all over the world as long as they're waking hours at times when i'm awake <laughs> <laughs> and anyone who's interested in finding out more where where can they find you um my website is um www.joebrownlow.com and i think that's the easiest way to get hold of me i mean i'm on instagram as joe brownlow holistic health and on facebook as joe brownlow holistic health I'm not that good at the social media. <laughs> um, so website, contact me through there um, and I'd love to hear from you. 
Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me and for sharing such great wisdom that I think will be life-changing for a lot of people. Thanks a lot, Joe. I do hope you enjoyed that conversation and thanks again so much to Joe for sharing all of her wisdom with us. One of my favorite podcasts is Feel Better, Live More. And I know that the host, Dr. Rangan Chatterjee, has also studied functional medicine in the US and he really embraces the idea of trying to identify the root cause of disease rather than treating the symptoms. It's a subject I find totally fascinating and I hope you enjoyed learning a bit more about the approach from Joe. I've put a link in the show notes to her website, which also has a lot more information, and also to the School of Applied Functional Medicine, where she trained as a practitioner. And of course, that book that Joe referred to, This Naked Mind by Annie Grace, which is all about having a healthier relationship with alcohol. Although I quite like my healthy relationship with a glass of wine. And as it's now Friday evening, I'm going to go off and have one right now. Thanks again so much for listening. And I do hope you have a good weekend. Thank you so much for listening. There are almost a million podcasts out there to choose from. So I really appreciate you for choosing this one and spending your valuable time with me today. If you found it helpful, I would be truly grateful if you would rate and review it as it helps others to find us. And if you haven't already, you can hit the subscribe button wherever you get your podcasts to be sure of getting every episode sent to you. You can find all the resources we talk about and more about my guests in the show notes over at collectivewisdom.podbean.com or you can find me on Instagram at collectivewisdompod where I'd love to hear any feedback, suggestions for new guests or comments that you have. I'd love to hear from you. And if you're interested to know more about how my coaching can help you, you can find more about that on my website at catpreston.com. Thank you so much for joining me.